feel a bit like Darth Vader. Yep. Hopefully I don't sound like Darth Vader. A little bit. All right, fantastic. Uh, yeah, so it is, boy, it's just great to see uh, the sparsely filled auditorium uh, with all the bright, shining faces. It really is very encouraging for Beth and I, so welcome today. Hello to the millions of you on the Zoom call. It's great to have you with us. And uh, uh, it really has been, what a, and what a beautiful day. I mean, my goodness, I mean, yes, between yesterday and today, um, you know, God's really blessed us, uh, uh, not just with, with wonderful um, people, the, t- the time we've been able to spend with the different uh, couples and individuals that we spent t- our time with, uh, but it has just been very nice outside. Uh, thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Uh, we are just um, very blessed uh, to be a, just a small portion of your lives. And, um, and we are very grateful uh, to be here today. Uh, you know, about that picture that Drew uh, had uh, on there. So, yes, we're, we, we think that was the night that we were engaged. And, uh, and we're going to date ourselves a little bit. But that would have been uh, the spring of 1991, uh, actually. And so we, uh, we got engaged. And uh, we were actually, at the time... Uh, Beth's best life, uh, in short, was together, right? She, she had gone through school, she had her degree, and she had been working for a year or two uh, or three. And um, meanwhile, uh, I was still working on getting my life together. And so, uh, so I, I had just gotten a job, and I got some money to go buy a car. I didn't even have a car. And, uh, and then I got saved a little bit more money to go buy a ring. And, um, and then uh, nine weeks later, we had a nine-week engagement. Uh, we were married, and that was uh, May of 1991. So next year, we're looking at 30 years of wedded bliss. And hopefully, we'll be able to travel someplace and to go away. We'll, we'll see. COVID has kind of uh, slammed that down. I want to thank uh, Tiffany. Uh, for sharing. I, 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 I'm not sure if you guys do that a lot or not, but, but what a wonderful job. Uh, Tiffany, thank you so much for sharing, being vulnerable, and uh, but sharing. And what I appreciate you sharing is how God is a rock. Uh, you know, no matter how old you are, no matter uh, what you're going through, whether it's a sunshiny day or a rainy day in your life, uh, God is always there. He is always the rock, and he's always working in our lives. And, uh, and so I really appreciate you sharing and reminding us of all of that. And uh, because that is really true, as we you know get get older in the Lord and been disciples for a long time, um, we can attest to that. We can attest how God has has uh, rescued us at times. He's yeah. held our hands at times, even when we feel lonely and like God's not there. Uh, we feel like God has just uh, really blessed us a ton, carried us a ton, and um, and so we're we're certainly uh, again glad for the, for the sharing and reminder of that today. Mm-hmm. And uh, we thought today um, we'd honestly just do some sharing about, um, about our Christian lives. I don't, we don't really have a title for our lesson other than um, it's really kind of uh, uh, you know, God using and interested in our, our full life. Uh, we have talked about that in a, in a book that we wrote a little bit about that. And even Tiffany kind of touched on it that, uh, you know, that God has an interest in all of her, her life, you know, her schooling, her education, her, her career and all of that. And, uh, and it's, 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 we, we're going to look at a number of stories of Jesus uh, that you've probably all read uh, before, but maybe in a different light of how uh, Jesus interacted with the people around him. Because it sets a real, um, a model uh, for us. 
as disciples of how we interact uh, with the people around us, both uh, both in the church, but maybe even moreover, the people outside of the church, the people that we go to school with, that we sit next to when, when we're in classes and not on Zoom. And when, uh, you know, when we're at work or when we're walking down the street, our neighbors, whatever that is, you know, God is working, I believe, really hard in people's lives to set up times and places and events for people to run into each other. And uh, right now there's, there's, there's people out there that you have not met yet that you might have a class with next semester or you might start at your a place of employment uh, next month or next year uh, that God's been working in their life. Uh, so that so that you can 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 run into them and uh, we can uh, be the light uh, in their lives and so we're going to look at uh, how that happened for Jesus. It really is quite interesting. We're just going to look at uh, kind of skim through a couple of stories. All right. And so let's go ahead and uh, turn over, turn your Bible over to John chapter three. We'll start there, and uh, we'll find that uh, Jesus is in a place called Judea. And I'll just start reading in verse one and read a couple verses here. It says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the signs you were doing uh, if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Well, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's uh, womb to be born. And it continues uh, on from there. And Jesus explains to him about being born again. He explains to him about what it means to, to become a Christian. But what's interesting about this is that here's a, here's a, a person that uh, was, uh, was obviously a very knowledgeable uh, religious person. Okay? He, he believed in God. He was uh, a member of the Jewish, Jewish a ruling council, and so it's not like you know. I mean, this guy was was a, a leader in the world of religion, a leader in the knowledge of God, and yet he still comes to Jesus uh, apparently for some spiritual inquiry of some sort. Although it's interesting, uh, Nicodemus doesn't actually ask a question. There's not a question recorded. You know, Jesus actually he like walks walks up to him and and, uh, and and says, "We know you are from God." But then Jesus actually launches in to, uh, to essentially sharing his faith, being the light in this man's life. And um, what was interesting about this uh, to me as I, I look at this is that you know, Jesus is at the ready. He is, he is ready with, to, to share with this person. Maybe they had had a previous conversation. I don't really know. But he comes to him at night, uh, apparently un, unplanned. And Jesus is at the ready to have this real conversation with Nicodemus. That would change his course of his life, right? And it's kind of like, I mean, I sure a lot of us listen to podcasts or uh, if you ever listen to a, like a sports talk show on the radio or something like that, those people are very knowledgeable of their topics, right? They prepare uh, for whatever topic that podcast is or whatever that radio show is they're going to do and and you can tell with the, the, you know, the good ones, uh, you know, podcasts are, are either good or bad based on the knowledge of the person who's talking, right? But they prepare very diligently, whether it's finances, whether it's uh, um, you know, stories that they're telling or whatever it might be, they're very prepared to talk about uh, whatever their topic that they focus on. And it's the same thing for Jesus here. I mean, he is just really ready to go when Nicodemus comes up. And I think he sets a model for us 
uh, to, uh, for us to be ready. And I think we know those answers. But our walk with God has to be a, a, a priority in our lives. Our time in God's word, our time in prayer, our time get, you know, receiving discipling and help in our lives. All of those things have got to be a priority in our lives for us to be at the ready. So when that person sits next to you at class or when that person starts at your work or whatever, uh, whoever God sends your way, that we're ready to do God's work and to be the light in that person's, that person's life. But Jesus reached out to this, uh, this, uh, this, uh, uh, this religious, knowledgeable guy. But then in John chapter 4, it's another story, another situation I'm sure you're uh, familiar with. It says, starting in verse 4, Now he had gone through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob, uh, uh, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And it goes on there, the story of the Samaritan woman. So this is a little bit different. This isn't a knowledgeable religious person. This is a woman in a place that normally people wouldn't talk to each other, that Jesus wouldn't, a Jew would not talk to, to this person. And... And apparently, you know, it's actually Jesus that reaches out to her. You know, he's maybe leaned up against the well or something. She might be on the other side. Who knows, you know, how that, that looked. But Jesus, you know, reaches out to her yeah. to ask for a drink. Yeah. He approaches her. Yeah. Now, she, you know, it's interesting because when she goes back, uh, back to her town, um, it seems like a lot of people know her. So I picture this per person maybe being, you know, we know that she was married several times. Um, you know, so maybe she was like a socialite. I mean, you can kind of, kind of guess of what she, she uh, you know, could have been, the life that she, she led. But, uh, but nonetheless, it was just, it's a totally different kind of person than, uh, than Nicodemus was earlier. But this never should have happened. In fact, Jesus, you know, talks with her and if you know the story, she responds in such a great way and goes back uh, to her town. And the people are so excited uh, that they ask Jesus and so, to stay. And so whatever his, his plans were prior to that, he changes and he stays a couple of days with them in Samaria. He changes his whole plan, his whole, whole, whole thought of whatever he was doing. He changes uh, for them. Later in chapter 4, I'll start reading in verse uh, 46. We have yet another situation where Jesus is interacting with people around him. Verse 46, it says, uh, Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine, and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had, uh, had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to, to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go and your son will be healed. And then in verse 53, he says, the son realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household had believed in God. So here's a person that was like a government official type of person. Probably a pretty successful, pretty sharp guy, 
pretty, uh, you know, was, was a guy that, that, that people knew. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate this man's humility. But he comes to Jesus, as did Nicodemus. You know, part of the thing here about, about Jesus, uh, who is our Lord, is there was something about him that people wanted to come to him. It wasn't always, but definitely sometimes there were people that came to him. And they believed that he could help. Which sets a real example for us in our lives. Again, whether it's at work, whether it's school, wherever we're at in our lives. To be the example that people will want to go to be with you. Because their time to, to, uh, to, to become friends with you might not be today. But they might really need a friend next year. They might really need a friend in another month. They might really need a friend or someone to help them sometime down the road. And Jesus was a person that, that, uh, that a wide variety of people came to. And sometimes they came just for healing. Sometimes they came for spiritual help or whatever. Sometimes they just came to get a free lunch. But Jesus was always willing to give. Jesus was always willing to open up his life. To these people in the spirit of helping them, of showing them God's love and God's mercy. And so this person, he goes home, the son is healed, and it says he and his whole household came to believe. And this is, was in, if you caught that, in Cana and Galilee. So, so far he's been, done it in Judea, and then Samaria, and now Cana and Galilee. Let's turn over to the next chapter, John chapter 5, and another story. In verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 2. It says, Now there is uh, in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colored colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who had, was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, And learned that he had been there in this condition a long time. He asked them, do you want to get well? Now this is an interesting scenario. 38 years. You go back. You're talking since 1982. Since Reagan's first term. Right? I mean that is an enormously long time ago. 38 years this man had been here. And of course, it's apparently an area where there was a lot of people with, with great need uh, that, are, that are there. I guess that's where they hung out, where they, where they assembled. And this is a situation where Jesus went to him. Now, in 38 years, how many people do you think walked by ignoring that individual? How many people walked by not caring? How many people actually avoided that area to not walk by him? Yeah. I'm sure you've seen him. You walk past, you know, somebody who's on the side with a cardboard sign that, uh, that uh, is in need of some sort. Mm. This man was in need. He couldn't get up to walk. He couldn't do anything. And I'm sure he had been ignored for years and years and years. So Jesus goes up to him. And he was going to do what was right for this man, despite the repercussions that would come. Which, if you read in the, later in the story, there were some actual repercussions of Jesus helping him because it was actually a Sabbath day when, when that happened. But nonetheless, Jesus takes the time out of his life to reach out to this man. Maybe it was, it was uh, they had, ta- again, talked before. I don't know what it, what it was like. 
But it's Jesus sharing his life, yeah. being the light, being, being, uh, being uh, the example uh, for us today of what it means to reach out to our communities. Yeah. It was Jesus that was, was setting the pace here. One more, John chapter 6. John chapter 6. I made it easy, just consecutive chapters for us. So you can just like point on the little arrow or just turn the page, whatever you're doing. So in John chapter 6, again, a, a story you're familiar with. Verse 1, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. So he's in another spot. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside, sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He's actually kind of playing them a little bit. He said he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind exactly what he was going to do. So I believe that Jesus totally knew that the people, uh, that there's like thousands of people. And most of them are there really just for, to be entertained. Most of them are there not with the right heart. Most of them are there to maybe get some free food or to see, see a magic show, to see someone get healed. Most of them are not there to inquire and learn about God. But yet, what do we see Jesus do? We see Jesus giving them a chance. He had them all sit down. He didn't dismiss the ones of, of hey, if you're not here to learn about God, mm, please go back home. We just want people who are interested in God here. Wow. He didn't do that. Yep. He didn't send, send the, 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 the kids to the back because they were crying. He didn't do anything. He just had the people sit down. And not only did he feed them, he kind of goes the extra mile to feed them. Yep. Of just taking a very little bit of food and, and feeding the thousands that were there. Jesus totally knew their hearts. He knew that most of them would not become Christians. Yep. He knew that most of them wouldn't get it. But he was still the light, this time with thousands of people. That's right. So we see five different stories, five different kinds of people Five different places where Jesus is taking his life and being the light with his whole life, with the people that are around him. And I'll go ahead and let uh, Beth show. Okay. Um, well, I, I, uh, I do the personal sharing. That's kind of how we do our thing. And so, so to do the personal sharing, I have to give you a little bit of context around who we are. And we speak a lot about personal ministry. Um, because we have a deep conviction about personal ministry. And we said from the beginning, before we wrote the book and before we started helping some small churches, like we would not do this in front of God if we did not have a personal ministry. Mm -hmm. On top of that, you know, Phil has a deep conviction about we are going to live our lives with the best days in front of us. We're not going to be kind of people talking about the would-be living room thing when I was 21 years old. Okay? It is the days in front of us. Okay, the other context about me personally. Since I was 14 years old, my very first favorite Bible verse ever in a not a Church of Christ church was Matthew 28. I was in college as a freshman. 
I believed in God, sort of. It was before I became a Christian, but I was religious. I had a roommate who didn't at all. She struggled. We were very good friends. I gave her my Bible to read because I did not know what else to do. And nothing happened. And it was one of my most things that motivated me most to become a Christian was that for me personally, that's what was attractive to me, was the idea of growth and sharing of my life. And I think sometimes, you know, in our, in our movement and in our churches, we do get away from this obvious community diversity agenda that Jesus had yeah. for the organization of our churches. Okay, within our churches, I know this church is the same as our church. If left to our own devices, we will spend 98% of our time with each other. And that is not what you see in the book of John. Yeah. And so I just want to explain, because we do talk about this a lot, and I hope it doesn't get tired, because it's kind of who we are. Um, I just want to explain, like, the last two weeks. The last two weeks in the Bruns's personal ministry. Okay? In the last two weeks. So this past week, we divided up in midweeks of guys and girls, which we, we, we do uh, for D groups. And uh, we have church midweek twice a month, and then we have, like, family groups. And we do, we do guys and girls. And so Phil's having the guys over to our house to do social distancing in the back by the fire pit. And he has a thing he's supposed to do. He's given his direction of, like, he has, it's something that's kind of, you know, meaningful. He has his assignment of what he is supposed to do at the, at the midweek. And one of the brothers in our midweek who lives in Dayton, Ohio. Dayton, Ohio. He was restored into our shepherding group two years ago. Wow. He brings a friend. Yay. Okay? That's not uncommon for our group. And so Phil can't go through his list of what the church wanted us to do. Phil has to go do a Bible talk. Okay? That's, that's last week. Uh, we get with a couple that's in our Bible talk um, on Sunday morning before breakfast. Now, it's just our morning, you know, we're just catching up, how's your week, you know, any needs, you know, that kind of a thing. It's just our regular D time. Sunday morning, we're at their house. And I don't know, a few minutes in, well, first of all, they're having a teenage girl birthday party who's 16 from a sister in Columbus because it's a single mom who can't, who's in transition in a house. They don't even know this person. They don't even have a 16-year-old girl at their house. And so they had a sleepover at their house for 16-year-old girls because it was a need. And there, there's a list of people they're trying to reach out to, which I, I wasn't surprised because there was a way of sharing your faith in that mix. And then we're, I don't know, we're a half hour into our conversation and they bring up, well, you know, we have, a, a, we have a, 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 somebody we're working with. And we know because in our group, we're, we're focused on, you know, reaching out to people. And we want you to pray for these people that we're working, that we're working with, which it was a very, it, it, that didn't happen all the time, <laughs> but it happened last Sunday. Okay, so then they've got somebody they're reaching out to. Then, um, then that same week, um, or even the week before that, it was in the last two weeks, I get a message on my Facebook from a couple that's from Florida, who had relatives here, that they were disciples of one of the sisters in our group, and they decided to move to Italy to start some house church in Italy. I met them one time at a Bible talk that they had, we had at our house where they brought a niece who is my age, who is an executive-type leader. 
And somehow, our friends in our Bible talk put it all together that maybe Beth would be good for this woman because she's an executive woman. And so they land in our Bible talk uh, probably six months ago. Last year. Last year. It was last year sometime, 2019. So within the last two weeks, I get an instant message from these older people, which I can't even remember their name, in Italy. And they are like, this woman is now, who's very religious, we got together a few times to talk about Christianity as leadership kind of women, which was lovely, but there wasn't, I invited her a lot, she never came to anything, and so then I kind of let it go, because I kept inviting her to get together as well as come to our group, um, and she just never made herself that available, and so I get the text, would you please reach out to her because she is separated from her husband, and now she lives in your community. So I text her right away, I'm like, hey, do you want to get together and have coffee? I'd love to, but I think I might have a COVID symptom. And so it'll be, it might have been two weeks ago, because I'm going to reach out to her this week, then the two weeks will be passed. Um, we have two new female Christians in our Bible talk. One is meaningfully older than me, one is meaningfully younger than me. Mm. They both reached out to me this week. Could we get together? They're trying to figure out new Christianity. And so that is sort of a, a two weeks in the life of us, but yeah, you, you almost like we have to, you know, you have to really open your mind to yeah. be thinking about where are those spots to make yourselves available. Because I know you're deeply embedded in what you're doing, whether it's school or it's your kid's school or it's your work or, you know, wherever it's your neighborhood. You have things and people that are in your life every day. And I would just wish for you to be able to open your eyes and see how can I make a connection here in some way and to assume that they're sitting by you or they're on your job or they're in your neighborhood for a reason? Too often times we get caught up in mechanics and, and I'm going to go out and invite people and so forth when God's giving you people that, that, are, that are right next to, not just you, but, but to us, that are in our lives now. And, uh, and yes, it is, as we look at Jesus, you know, never one time, uh, did he, of course, I, I get it, he was Jesus, but he never, you know, there was never a church invitation. It was always a sharing with who God had kind of put in his path. It was a sharing of his life. And so you wonder if you're one of the disciples, uh, like how, 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 you know, you sit there and you watch this for, for a few years, a few short years. Uh, of, of, I mean, it must have been like totally amazing to be one of the disciples, to be with Jesus and to see this, this impact. Uh, that he had just beyond the miracles, just the impact he had on people's life. Uh, we're going to uh, look at Acts 2 if you want to turn over there. But uh, so sometime before Jesus was on the scene with Peter, uh, let's talk about Peter for a second. Okay, Peter was uh, a, a working man. He was a fisherman. And that, so that's what he did, right? He'd get up in the morning or nighttime, whenever they'd go fishing and go catch fish and bring them back and sell the fish to the market or whatever, however they did that. That's what he did. What kind of goals, what kind of dreams do you think he had at that time? What kind of, of, of confidence in God did he have? Like none, right? I mean, his goal was to catch more fish tomorrow than he did today. His dreams were maybe he had, a, had a family where to raise his, his, his children and, and teach them fishing. Uh, maybe he had some other hobbies. I don't know what they were. But his, his, his dreams, his goals were probably very much centered around, around his, his, his small life. How many other fishermen do you know 
from the first century. Like nobody. Had Peter decided not to follow Jesus and to take on that life that Jesus had called him to, we wouldn't know him. We don't know anybody else. Unless they were a disciple. But we wouldn't, you don't know anybody, any other fisherman from that time. But then we look at Acts chapter 2. In verse 14, of course, you know that Jesus is, is uh, gone. Uh, by this point, thousands of people are together. In verse 14, it says that Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. This is a guy who had some dreams now. This is a guy who was ready to impact the world. This is a guy who had seen what Jesus had done for a few years, and he was going to take it on. This was a changed man because Jesus was his Lord. And I think you know the story of him sharing. But what an incredible scene and what an incredible transformation from somebody, from a, from a no-name fisherman to becoming a fisher of men that we all know about. And for Peter in particular, I mean, little did he know, little did he know that we'd be sitting here 2,000 years plus later, right, reading about this moment. Little did he know that his couple letters, letters that he, he did write that we read, that millions and millions and millions of people would read his very words. He didn't know that. He didn't know that, especially on the day that he dropped the nets to follow Jesus. But he saw what happened. And he was a guy who had a dream and wanted to incorporate what we now call Christianity into his life. And to teach that to other people. And in fact, that day... As you probably know, at the end of Acts chapter 42, or in verse 41, it says, Those who accepted his message were baptized. 3,000 were added to their number that day. I don't even know how they did that. I mean, let's think about it for a second. I mean, when we baptize somebody, usually, you know, there's, there's a couple of people that will share. Maybe if it's a teen, the parents will share. And little tears. And about five or ten minutes of sharing. Well, if you did that 24 hours a day, you're talking like a week and a half or a couple weeks of, of baptizing people. Just straight, you know, no, no uh, around-the-clock baptizing. But they did it all in one day, which must have been you know, like totally amazing. But what a transformation in these people's lives. Because it doesn't stop there, as you probably know. Uh, in uh, uh, in uh, uh, Acts chapter 3... Read a story here that may sound a little familiar. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth uh, was, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg for those who were going into the temple courts. When Peter and John about, uh, were about to enter, he, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get some money. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth's walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet, ankles became strong. He jumped up to his feet and began to walk. 
And it went on from there. But does that sound familiar? Does it sound like the guy that was laying by the pool that, that you know, Jesus had gone up to just a few years earlier? I wonder if John and Peter talked about that. Like, oh, this looks familiar. Like, yeah, remember that guy? Yeah, I remember that guy. And I remember Jesus getting in trouble for that. But the sharing of their lives, of who God puts, puts in their path, they were at the ready. They're ready to share God's love. They're ready to share God's mercy. And they're ready to continue that example that Jesus had set for them. And it goes on. And they get a little bit of persecution here and there. And trouble with the Sanhedrin. We have, um, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in chapter 4, verse 32, it says, All the believers were one heart and mind. No one claimed any of their possessions. And they shared everything they had. They're, li- they're giving of their lives. They're giving, incorporating their lives into Christianity. Christianity is not an activity. It is their life. Reaching out to people to share with them about God is not an activity to go and do. That is their life. That's who they were. That's who they had become. And so you can picture, I mean, people having people over for dinner. They're going to other people, just like Jesus. Some would come to them. They would go to other people. And it's amazing of the transformation uh, in, in the disciples as well as, um, as, well as the, the people that they were reaching out to. And in chapter 5 and verse 42, it says, Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching, proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. These are the same kind of people like you and like me. There wasn't anything special other than that they loved their God, that they did this. And it's quite challenging to look at that and to think about that and think about incorporating our lives. Because you know, we all have stuff. It might be school, might have young children, might have demanding jobs. I get it. We get it. We had young children. We both worked. We were both in school. We had our, we've been there, and we totally, totally get it. But I think part of what we see here is these people, they had the intent. They had the intent to do what God gave them the opportunity uh, to do. They, gave, they, they had the hearts to want to reach out and to be that bright light with the people around them despite whatever circumstances they were in. I'm sure it was hard for some of them. But wherever they, wherever they were, in the temple courts, I'm sure sharing with people, preaching the good news, but it says house to house. I mean, I think they're inviting people into their homes. I think they're inviting people to be a part of their lives. And it might be just over for dinner to have fun and chit-chat about this or that. Or it might be to, 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 to reach out to them. Whatever it was, they were incorporating the world around them into their lives. But then it's interesting, in Acts chapter 6 and 7, an incredible moment with uh, Stephen. Uh, Stephen is, is before a, a group of religious people, and, and the long story short, if you haven't read that or haven't read it in a while, it is one of the most incredible speeches ever. And they didn't like a thing that he said, because he was absolutely right in what he was saying. That he was essentially saying that you guys have hard hearts. Your God is knocking at your door and you're not home. Right? And so, so he's reaching out to them. And then in Acts chapter 8, it all changes. Like it had been pretty smooth. 
Day after day, they're sharing with house to house. They're reaching out to those people. Thousands are becoming Christians. It's been pretty cool so far. Been a little bit of trouble here and there, but just with a couple of people. But overall, this, this Christianity, this thing post-Jesus, right, has been going pretty well. But in Acts chapter 8, it says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So all those thousands of people that had become Christians, they had to scatter. They stoned Stephen, he died, and they were so mad that they were going after not just Stephen, they decided to go after the whole church, this whole group of these so-called Christian people, these Jesus followers, the followers of the way. We're just not going to talk bad about them, lie about them, ignore them. We're going to go after them. Can you imagine the fear in the homes the parents grabbing their children and running, leaving their things behind. Can you imagine the, 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 the fear that was struck in those that were single, those that were married, not knowing, seeing Paul to the left and so running to the right. I guess it wasn't Paul, still Saul at that point. But seeing you know, people being dragged out, your neighbor, and they're running the other way. They're getting out of town. There's some rioting going on. There is some bad stuff. There is trouble in Jerusalem. And so they're out of there. So the verse 3, Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, dragging off men and women and put them in prison. There was no mercy. He was going after everybody. In their minds, in the name of Jesus. Or I'm sorry, in the name of God. But they were going after the church. People were scared. They weren't sure what was going to happen. So certainly you would think that that would slow them down. Certainly, I mean, we, you know, their lives were turned upside down. Maybe in, in somewhat like our lives have been turned upside down here in this last year. This has been like a, a really crazy year. I am standing here sharing, Beth and I are sharing, and we have these Darth Vader masks on. We all are wearing masks. I mean, it's just weird. And nobody likes it, Right? <laughs> Like you can't give somebody a hug. You haven't seen them in, in a while. You want to give them a hug. And it's just weird. We don't even watch the news. So the news is filled with bad news. Like who, you know, that's no, not encouraging. It's been a really, really challenging year. And in many ways, our lives have been turned upside down. Yeah. But when we look at the disciples, what is their response? In verse 4 of Acts chapter 8, those who have been scattered preached the word everywhere they went. Wow! Everywhere they went. They didn't view the sharing of their lives, the studying the, the, the Bible with others, uh, the, the reaching out, sharing God's love, God's mercy. They didn't view it as an activity that I got to go do. If they viewed it as an activity, they just would have stopped. I mean, let's be honest. Let's hold off for a little while. Let's slow down. Let's let this blow by. They kept going because of their love for their God. And these people are no different than you and me. They just simply loved their Jesus. And they made Christianity, filled their life with their Christianity. I'll let that show. Okay, so what I want to share here is the idea of having a farm. 
you know, a farm that you, have, that, you, that you till. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. As soon as you have a field that you farm. And so I want to just share some practicals around stuff we've tried that's worked, stuff we've tried that hasn't worked. And the common theme about through all of it, whether it worked or it didn't work, it has to work for you as a person or work for you as a family. Okay, not all evangelistic opportunities are created equal in my, you know, in my view. I'm not Jesus. I'm not Peter. You know, there's a certain kinds of stuff that I have found particularly more fruitful and other stuff that I have found less fruitful. So I thought I just might share from us personally. So when my kids were young, you know, I tried the preschool mom thing, making friends at the preschool. I tried the bus stop thing, you know, we're waiting there at the bus stop, you know, three or four of the moms. Not my farm. <laughs> not my farm at all. Okay, I'm not a stay-at-home mom. I, I don't make cookies on Saturday. I'm not having hot chocolate moments, you know, here in the morning. You know, my kids are lucky if they get a shower or a bath, you know, that day. <laughs> and I certainly am not in the preschool being that mom for all these other kids. I can only be a mom for my own kids. And so it, I felt awkward. I felt bad for a while because I'm not that mom. You know, if you're a mom, if you're a good mom, you should be able to do the preschool thing, you know, which I never did very well. Um, on the other hand, when my kids got into middle school or high school, um, we became we 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 were good band parents. I don't know why. Do there any marching band people out here? Okay, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, we thought marching band was like really cool. We had an incredibly competitive marching band that needed an army of volunteers. So we, we parents, oh my goodness, like the army logistics. It was a 350 person band. So there was a lot to do with slogging water, cleaning uniforms, whatever. And we made friends. And out of that became a group we called Mom and Me. You know, so I invited uh, uh, moms and their daughters and we had a tea. And we discussed Mary and Martha, and we discussed, I don't know what we did, we did, you know, several of them as a way for my kids to reach out to their friends and their friends as mothers. And that one worked out pretty well. Another one was, uh, you know, I tried to work at a place where there's other disciples, and so I tried, uh, I tried to do a daytime Bible talk at lunch at my workplace. The culture of my job just doesn't do lunch very well. So it just we just we just don't. It's very it's very typical to work through your lunch. You know, people have lunch somewhere between eleven and one. So even if you do have a lunch, it's not necessarily the same day. Um, you know, you kind of have emotional overflow from your intense morning to what's going to be an intense afternoon. And so I tried it, but there wasn't enough spiritual or time or emotive space to have that work well. And so it didn't work very well. So one of the things that we do now is we get with families with children like 10 years and below once a month, and we have for the last three years. And what I'm really known for mentoring in my job. And so where that's become a farm for me is that I bring my friends that I mentor from my workplace. So we're working with several workplace families right now, and the avenue for them to come is our young family group thing, that young families that we meet once a month to get together. And then I was, we were, I was talking with Tiffany Jeffers this morning around um, one of the things that we did just in our Bible talk is we just did this little thing called summer reading. We picked out four books of the Bible. We assigned a book to three people. Each of the people in our group came and gave a 10-minute lesson on something that they read in the book of John. That little thing, you know, spawned a lot of people interested in sharing their faith because they were going to speak for 10 minutes. In our Bible talk, because they felt like the Bible talk was theirs, mm -hmm. and it's their community. Mm -hmm. 
you know, these are just some of the things that, that worked well, didn't work well, but not being afraid if it's not working, try something else that suits who you are, that is a way that you can build a bigger social set than just your, you know, your church friends here. And we do it because we saw Jesus do it. That is why. As Jesus is our Lord, we, we work to figure it out. You know, I love what uh, Paul writes uh, later. You know, the guy that was dragging people out and, and killing them and, and sending them to prison Welcome. that we just read, as you know, becomes like this, this super disciple, this incredible man that, that uh, has written a good chunk of the Bible today. But in uh, 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2, and verse 8, he's, he writes to the church in Thessalonica. He says, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. He talks about sharing our lives. You know, we, we as disciples, we need to make a community a part of our lives and our lives part of the community. It's hard, but there's a lot of things that are hard. You know, as parents, you know it's hard raising children sometimes. If you're a student, there are definitely some classes and some majors maybe that are harder than others. Just some parts of life are hard. hard. But, you know, so many of them, we figure it out. You know, if you're a parent, you're kind of forced to figure it out. Right? You don't have the option to not raise your child. If you want to be a successful student... And you have to get through, you know, a difficult uh, chemistry class or something. You have to get through and you have to figure it out, right? It's going to take extra effort. Mm. And so I want to implore of you to figure it out. Mm. Too many times we let, let our lives and, and, the, and being involved with the community and have the community as part of our lives, we let it go. We let it slip. We let it slide. When what we see in Jesus was, is that every day, that was his life. When we see the disciples, who again were just like you and me, they made that very much a part of our lives. Right. And so I want to encourage you to think about the lessons here that Jesus has given us. Get with your, with your spouse or your roommates with your family groups, Bible talks, whatever groups you have and whatever they're called. And to consider how can we do this. And if you can't figure out, pray and talk about it again. And if you still can't figure it out, and maybe you just don't want to, pray so that God can use you. You're not here just to suck air. You're not here... Just to do whatever job you do. You're here to do, to have an impact on the community. As Jesus did, as Peter did, as all those disciples did. That's why you were here. But spend some time figuring out how to be the light to the world. Spend some time figuring out how to offer your lives. Not just an invite, but your lives to the world around you. And I think God's going to bless you a whole ton. Mm. Guys, thank you so much uh, that we could share with you today. Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is Will Portillo. And if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, visit us online at blueridge.church or connect with us on Facebook at Blue Ridge Church of Christ. Visit us on YouTube and subscribe for weekly sermons, encouraging news, and short devotionals. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time.